0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile, 5G makes business sense. This is The Breakfast Grill and I'm Mark Tan. Today on the show, joining us is Fat Hope's Energy, Sendrian Berhad. Established in 2010, this homegrown Malaysian company produces biofuel from used cooking oil as its primary feedstock. It has since expanded its product range and developed sustainable fats, oils, and grease solutions for advanced biofuel production, helping us make sense of where Fat Hope's Energy is headed in this new green industry. Is Vinish Sinha, CEO and founder Fat Hope's Energy? Vinish, very good morning.
1: Thank you very much, Mark. Um, it's great to be here with you. Malaysian households are getting into the habit
0: of recycling, be it for paper, plastics, aluminium, and glass, and we all have our separate bins for recycling. However, not much is known about recycling used cooking oil. Why is that? And what are the stumbling blocks for wider use of this?
1: So I think um, there there are a few elements to this, right? Number one is that our used cooking oil footprint in itself is very much lower in comparison to the other waste materials that we produce. That's number one. Number two is the logistical aggregation infrastructure. Due to the fact that it's a liquid-based material, um, collecting it, Um, It's a little bit more of a nuisance uh, comparatively. You can't just stack it somewhere and wait for someone to come and collect it. And the third, I think, is that Um, we have not had um, an equitable or uh, uh, aggregation infrastructure that um, for people to come to your house and pick it up due to the cost. So when you have a low volume that's available, um, logistics cost a lot more than the value of the material you're picking up. Um, So unless uh, a community comes together and really collects it um, as one taman or as an entire block of apartments, um, only then do you be able to break through um, into viability. But what about the money part of it? How much can a
0: residential household get for selling a ton of used cooking oil to you guys?
1: Um, so yeah, per, per ton today, we are, we range, it, it fluctuates with the market, but it ranges between about 3,000 to 4,000 ringgit a ton. So three to four ringgit a kilo. Um, sounds relatively high on a per kg basis. But to put into perspective, um, from our estimates, a household, um, a mom, dad, two children household, Um, they won't produce anywhere more than five kilos a month. Um, And that means that they will only be able to generate at max about 15 ringgit a month. Um, That's not um, a high enough incentive for an average household. So I don't think that the financial incentive is really the big motivator uh, for households to dispose. Um, It's really doing, it's really that the motivation factor is really in doing the right thing. Now, Fed Homes has been running for the last 13 years. So give me a sense between the B2B and the B2C, what's your supply chain mix? Um, so we've been predominantly a B2B business. Um, only in the past two years have we has been our foray into the B2C sector. Um, our split is actually about 90-10. Uh, 10% coming from the b to c sector um, and 90% from the b to b sector. Um, so comparatively, um, we look at um, the the B2C element shrinking from 10% maybe to about 9%. But that's not because the number of households or the adoption is reducing, it's because B2B is just really taking off. Correct. So on an absolute basis, B2C
0: is growing, but it's just that the B2B is growing much faster than your B2C channel. So from a Hope's point of view, what's your... Combined average purchase cost per ton of waste oil.
1: Um, so all in today, uh, we are close to about four thousand um, ringgit a ton uh, on an all in basis um, before it is ready to be exported uh, uh, globally, right? Um, so I, I would say about twenty percent um, of our total uh, cost um, is is uh, non uh, uh components, right? So logistics storage. Um, a waste, because we are, we are collecting a waste material. So we've got to be cognizant of the fact that we are collecting anywhere between 9 to 11 percent of water and bones that we can't use. So right off the top, you have a 9 to 11 percent, what we call yield loss, like, that like goes out the door. And then the balance of the of the 9 percent, uh, from the, from, from the 20, um, is really where we use to cover our operating expense. Um, and the rest is really, uh, cost of goods. Mm. Now, in terms of your geographical footprint, is Malaysia still your
0: biggest source of waste oils or have you diversified and to other parts of ASEAN?
1: Um, yeah, we're definitely um, outside uh, Malaysia predominantly today. Uh, Malaysia has, is no more the biggest source. Malaysia was the biggest source for many years of this business. We are a Malaysian-centric business. We are proud Malaysians, um, but we have 35 million people and there's nothing much that Fair Hopes Energy can do about that. Um So, across the region, um, today, I would say that our biggest growth is definitely in Indonesia, in Philippines, and in vietnam, and that 's due to the sheer uh, population and economies of scale that we are able to garner um, in those countries. However, we still use Malaysia as our aggregation hub. Our pretreatment centre is here. Um, we bring all raw materials back to Malaysia uh, for it to be pretreated and for it to be ready um, to go into aviation fuel refineries or even biofuel refineries. Um, yeah, so um, today I would say Indonesia will definitely contribute the biggest um, uh, component um, of our volume. When you say biggest, what's the percentage? Um, Indonesia is about 40%, uh, a single biggest source, 40% of our total volume that we do today. And what is Malaysia now? Oh, wow. So Malaysia will be probably 12 to 15. um, It's become relatively small. So it's it's not that we're not growing, but the region is just picking up a lot faster than we are. And we had the first mover advantage in Malaysia. So when this industry was not being looked at, um, which were the early years, right? 2010 to 2016 per se, we were quietly building our base in Malaysia. So, yeah, we've saturated this country to, to a certain extent. Based on what
0: you just said, there's only one major production pre-treatment facility that Fat Hope has and it's based in Malaysia. So what kind of total capacity do you
1: have in this plant of yours? Um, so we are able to um, process anywhere up to about uh, sixty thousand tons uh, a month. Um, but the reason why we've decided to centralize it is is for economies of scale, number one. Um, and where we need economies of scale is in the elements of in the component of storage. Um, so veg oil coagulates in cold temperature. So Malaysia is relatively good on, on from that component. It's got a stable temperature all year round, which means we save a lot on 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 heating. Um, that's number one. Number two, Malaysia has actually a very, it, it's got a great veg oil infrastructure um, across the country from storage to logistics um, to QC, QA. Um, we've got very, very good, well-established infrastructure. Um, so that's the second. And the third is talent. Uh, the access to talent in this country um, has been great from this, from the, from, from, from this industry uh, because we overlap or we piggyback on the veg oil industry significantly. Now, is your facility right now running at 100% capacity? No. So, um, we, we are ready uh, for that for that capacity. Um, but we are at about uh, 40%, 50% today. Um, and the reason is, is exactly what I said earlier, right? Uh, scaling up and scaling down um, is relatively easy. Now, given the fact that earlier you mentioned that Indonesia now is contributes to
0: 40% of your waste oil supplies, isn't there a temptation for you to set up a facility in Indonesia?
1: Um, last year was great proof or great um, extinguishing extinguishment of that temptation, right? Uh, overnight in early last year, um, the Indonesian government decided to ban the export of all veg oil-based products or, 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 or materials. Um, and that was a rude awakening, to be very honest. Um, and the problem with, with those moves is that um, you have zero certainty. You don't know when it's going to be lifted right? Um, and getting, and, and as the world gets more and more polarized from a political uh, perspective or lens, um, these kind of um, populist moves will continue to happen. Um, and I think we need to be pragmatic and we need to be able to 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 build in or bake in um, these elements into our business. Now, that is the primary reason we refrain from, Uh, from setting up a a pretreatment facility in Indonesia. Um, And number two is that uh, if we have a location that's logistically going to cost no more than 2% or 3% of the total uh, product value where we can have 100% of our product, um versus having two facilities so let's just assume for a moment that um volatility in regulation goes away in indonesia we'll be running two facilities one for 60% of our products uh, for 60% of our volume and the other for 40 um with a 2% increase in logistics costs we actually can bring all 100% to one location um in the grand scheme of things it still looks more economical um, and more stable from a from a production perspective um than having two facilities mm.
0: On The Breakfast Grill this morning is Vinish Sinha, CEO, founder, Hope's Energy. After the break, we talk about regulation, industry size, customers and his business financials. This is BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by Mobile. 5G makes business sense. Welcome back to The Breakfast Grill, where in the hot seat this morning is Vinish Sinha, CEO and founder, Hope's Energy. Before the break, we talked about import sources for biodiesel and the manufacturing recycling process in Malaysia and in part of ASEAN. Now, who is the regulator or industry association that oversees your industry, if any at all?
1: So, there's, um, they're none in Malaysia. Um, we are licensed by the Malaysian Palm Oil Board. Um and that's because I would say that's a matter of convenience. So when the business started, we were we were supplying locally and when we needed to start exporting in twenty thirteen, we needed a HS code to export on. And there wasn't a HS code for used cooking oil as export or used cooking or biofuels raw material um export. Um so we we engaged with the government and what we, what happened was we were Probably a very harsh word, but we were shoved to the Malaysian palm oil board because their assumption is that waste oil is derived from the palm sector um, and hence they believe that it it should be under the Malaysian palm oil board. So we've been looking to establish or to recommend a dedicated aggregation or collection license, as we've seen in several other countries um, that we operate within. Now, would you then push for regulation as regulated industries does build confidence
0: among buyers? And there's always this fear because of what we've seen in China that, you know, waste oils can unintentionally or intentionally, unscrupulously go back for animal and human consumption?
1: Yeah. Um, So I think from a health and societal perspective, regulation is key, right? And and not so much from a concession basis, but we need to license the collection so so that we know what was collected or how much was collected from where and how much is going to where. If you look at what's happened in Singapore, we actually were instrumental in... Um, the reporting standards by F&B outlets to the National Environmental Agency, NEA. Um, So I look at licence as not curbing bad behaviour, but capitalising on the value of these materials as it stands. Now, having said that globally, there are quite strong legislation and uh, policies in place uh, for the utilisation. So the Renewable Energy Directive 1, which was uh, pre-2015, and then now we are in the era of the Renewable Energy Directive 2, actually mandates for member states in the EU to use biofuels, right? And that biofuels that is used, um, they actually mandate the raw materials that go into it. And because used cooking oil is undoubtedly the most sustainable raw material due to the fact that it's a post-consumer waste, there's a big impetus and promotion for this material to be used as the primary feedstock in biofuels. Now, talking about globally, right, there are certain estimates that say that the global
0: bioenergy market is expected to grow or you know, double its size to $220 billion by 2030. Now, how big is the industry here in our part of the world, in Asia? And basically, is Europe still the largest market?
1: Um, so, first and foremost, I think uh, the market is a little bit bigger than, than, than what you mentioned. And the reason for that is because the big advantage that liquid biofuels has is that it's a drop-in solution right? Um, There's no infrastructure change. There's no debate over me killing a power plant and building something else. It just fits into your day-to-day life now, right? Number two is that I believe that Southeast Asia, especially from a waste perspective, is a key component of that of that entire market. So we, I, I don't have fixed numbers, but I'm not surprised if we are about 20 to 30% of that entire market today from a raw material perspective. Now, in terms of consumers, Europe has always been the biggest consumer, again, due to voluntary and um, mandates or, or compulsory mandates. However, since the Biden administration, we've seen a big uptick in uh, demand from the US. And we're actually seeing towards the end of this year, the biggest installed capacity or biggest install refining capacity for sustainable aviation fuel and HVO, which is renewable diesel, come online in the US. Right. So I suppose you'd be rooting for Joe Biden to win the US presidential election next year
0: then. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> now, we know that Europe has still yet to accept the Malaysian Sustainable Palm Oil Certification and it is launching its new European uh, deforestation guidelines mm-hmm. coming up sooner. And you are unfortunately under the Malaysian palm oil. Now, how does this
1: pose a challenge to your business? I think uh, from a narrative perspective, we definitely um, get the shorter end of the stick. Business wise, now when you are in a in a in an industry where the the the, the total amount you can aggregate can probably replace about five percent of the industry, you are of course um, in a in a in a net benefit, right? However, the 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 comfort level of dealing with with. Cargos or materials that originate from Malaysia and Indonesia fluctuate. Sometimes they're really comfortable with us and sometimes that they're not. And as there are controversies or allegations of deforestation, we start to see those elements or we start to experience this dissatisfaction or, or unhappiness. However, we root ourselves in the fundamentals of knowing and measuring that all of our products are way more carbon efficient than any other raw material out there. And that has been our basis. So we disassociate, Fairhope's Energy disassociates itself from the palm sector through a robust carbon matrix. Right. And that has been the way that we have managed to soldier on all these years. And I believe that moving forward, we should have the same mentality, not just as a a company, but as a nation, because going on the debate that one hectare of palm oil produces is the most productive because it produces the most amount of oil is not cutting it. Now, would the blockchain solution in terms of keeping track of
0: the data help solve the issue with Europe? Because what Europe is looking for is they want to know the source of the waste and to make sure that it's not being used on land that's been deforested.
1: So I don't think um, we really need to dive too deep on the database mechanism. It can be any database for that matter. Uh, for us, I think there are two things that, that we strive to achieve. One is total transparency. Right? So there is a big uh, apprehension within the industry to disclose all my sources. And that's understandable. Right? Our competition doesn't like to disclose their sources to their buyer because they're concerned that someone might go to their source and undercut them per se or go and buy from them. So actually, that is the issue that needs to be solved. How can we make sure that there is trust that if you disclose, your sources are secure? right? And number two is timely. So the, num- the second element that we're try- we striving to achieve or we've sort of achieved and we're piloting on, on a, on, at scale now is how can we have this data live? Because when you have this data live, you, you el- eliminate a lot of the ambiguity, right? And what we do instead is we are preemptive instead of retrospective. So we collect for the month. Before we supply a client, we actually disclose all of our sources and we give them an option whether they want to audit uh, the source or not. Okay, now let's talk a bit about your clients. So what's your market share today?
0: Because I believe that back in 2018, it was estimated that your market share is 70%. Um,
1: So we don't have uh, reliable data on that. There isn't a national statistic. So we definitely have more than 50% market share in this country and, and across the region. That's where we stand. We're still trying to define what really our market share is. Right. And in terms of your competitors, who would basically be your competitors? So, I break, I break the answer to two. One is our international players uh, operate in a very different geography and we are reliant on very different types of waste, right? Now, locally, the balance of the market share that we do not own is very, very fragmented and we support many of them in their endeavour of aggregating um, these materials. Right. Does Hope's have any proprietary
0: intellectual property? that can maintain a competitive edge against competition coming into your space?
1: Yeah, so we've developed um, and we've developed, constructed and deployed an intelligent tank system, a tank where we deploy into F&B outlets that have got an inbuilt sensor in it that that beams up information to the internet every day and gives us the information of how much is in the tank or what's the fill level of the tank, which has optimised logistics drastically. That's a significant cost and a significant innovation. Uh, Apart from that, we have digitised the entire supply chain. So our trucks have also got sensors telling how much volume was collected from the shops and all of our key uh, aggregators from our driver to our vendor to our agents to our household um, all have an app each and they communicate with one, and one another within the digital ecosystem. Um, so I think this entire suite of services that we provide from end to end has cemented our position in the industry. Now, who are your
0: major clients? And generally, I, I suppose a big chunk of it is from Europe since they are the largest markets. And what sort of long-term contracts do you have with them?
1: Um, so, all of our major clients are oil and gas companies. At the moment, predominantly European oil and gas companies and starting now uh, American oil and gas companies. So, I would say the top 10 uh, biggest oil companies in the world are our, our current clients. We do not establish long-term contracts. And the reason is because, like I said, it's a net It's a net. Uh, supply market right so we do have long-term relationships we deal with them regularly um, but we never have had a need to establish long-term contracts and generally you know what's your average selling price per tonne to them Um, it it fluctuates based on the energy markets and the incentives all around the world Uh, but in the recent time you're looking at a between a thousand to a thousand four hundred us dollars a tonne now, given the
0: fact that a lot of your clients are big oil and gas companies, do they come and audit your operations here in Malaysia to make sure that this, the quality is, is, there's a certain quality certification that goes in?
1: Yeah. So, not just quality, quality, compliance. Um, on all elements, uh, uh, we are under deep scrutiny and we embrace it. I usually say that, um, before I started supplying the big oil companies, I was a boy and now I'm a man, right? So they took a boy and they, and they made a man. Um, so we do definitely internally call it gold plating. Um, we've gold plated significantly, but a lot of it, it was not just for sure. Um, I think that we've, because we've embraced it, we've, Enjoyed or managed to realize a lot of the benefits of implementing of stuff like uh, anti bribery and corruption policies, your KYC policies, um, etc. Now, based on the most recent financial records we've obtained from
0: SSM, which is financial year end 2018, Fed hopes revenues grew up 35% up to 26.9 million Ringgit, but made a financial loss of 2.2 million Ringgit for the year with an accumulated loss of 4 million Ringgit. Now, what's Fed hopes financial position for 2022? Or you can even share with us currently, you know, the first six months of 2023.
1: Yeah. So um, in 2022, um, we, we, we breached, um, we, we almost touched 100 million in revenue and we were profitable, right? So 2018, 2019 were the years um, that we were really investing and we were growing significantly. So the, the carry cost uh, was high, right? And in 2023, uh, for the first half, we have almost topped last year's numbers as well. So we project to double our revenue from last year's numbers this year. Um, with a relatively decent uh, bottom line. However, because we're still in growth stage, our net bottom line is not where we want it to be as yet. But yeah, we are moving towards that trajectory. Yeah, so I think based on the
0: accounts which I can't validate, the, the 2022 profit before tax margin, it is coming in about, you know, 1.7 to 2.4% level. That's really, really low. Would it be better for you just to put your money in the bank and earn nice FD rates?
1: I think, um, it, you, you need to look at this over the long term and value creation, right? So for us, uh, as long as we are not losing money for now, uh, we're still okay because, like I said, we have been in continued growth Uh, growth mode, number one. Number two, we've not had any external investment that's come in. The company has grown on its own, on cash generated internally. Uh, But bear in mind, we are definitely a commodity based or energy based business where we need economies of scale. And 100 million, 200 million is not a size for this kind of business. We need to get it up a lot higher because we are inherently a low margin business. Right,
0: Because I think certain sources say that the average biodiesel plant profitability and this is US numbers about 4.2 so at your current levels of 1.7, there's a long way for you to go in terms of
1: catching up. There is. Um, and again, again, um, as for us, that's the, 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 the pot of goal, right? Um, but we want to hit those numbers at scale because it's really no use hitting those numbers at, at low revenue, um, at a low revenue level. Now, in terms of shareholding, is
0: it still the three of you, yourself, Dr. Leong Ching-Tong and Leong Cheng-Yi, with you as the majority shareholder at
1: 50%? Yes, that's been unchanged.
0: And are you planning to raise any capital to fund your future expansion and bringing new shareholders?
1: Yes. Um, so, we are um, exploring a variety of uh, fundraising avenues today. I don't know whether it will involve new shareholders. Um, the green bond area looks very interesting as it stands. Um, but we are exploring and we will see you will, um, definitely hear from Fed Hopes Energy towards the end of the year on on our fundraising activities. And any IPO plans on the horizon? Um, Not in the near future. Vinish, thank you very much for
0: your time. On The Breakfast Grill was Vinish Sinha, CEO and founder, Fat Hope's Energy. This is BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G makes business sense. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind,